Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah with you in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. A lot to get into today as uh, the Vancouver Canucks are on the eve of beginning their Eastern Canada road swing. They are in Ottawa on Thursday, Toronto on Saturday, getting the Big night on Hockey Night in Canada, and then Sunday afternoon at the Montreal Canadiens before returning back home to Vancouver. And a lot to get into right away. We're going to have Trevor Linden coming up at 4.30, of course, former Canuck captain and president of Hockey Ops with the Vancouver Canucks, but that's coming up in a little bit. Sat, today we saw Teddy Bluger return to the ice for practice with the Vancouver Canucks, and it makes things very interesting because you start to look at this lineup. Everybody's got the good vibes going. And yet you have this piece coming back in this free agent that you clearly identified as somebody who could help in a fourth line role in a role that would help on the penalty kill. And somebody that could help defensive zone faceoffs, take a little bit of more matchup role as well with this team. Not that Teddy Bluger was or is going to be somebody that increases the ceiling even further from where the Canucks are. But the main thing is a piece that they felt could help. That's why they signed him on the first day of free agency. And now he is on the mend, injured in camp injured in the preseason, has yet to play, has yet to make his debut for the Vancouver Canucks. And now I start to wonder, okay, well, what does that mean? Who is going to come out? You have Nils Hoaglander, who's played really well. Dakota Joshua, who has, yes, fought it a little bit, but is clearly somebody the coach wants to have in the lineup because of the size he can bring to the roster. All of those things are true. Sam Lafferty, you traded for him right before the season started. seems like a long shot that that player's coming out of the lineup, especially with how well that he's played. Jack Studnika, yeah, he probably goes down to Abbotsford. There's no question about that. Connor Garland, you can't take Garland out of the lineup. There'd be no reason to. Sure, he got a healthy scratch once last year, but guy's making close to $5 million and has been a pretty good play driver on that third line and has had a really good partnership with Pew Suter, who, by the way, has goals in three straight games. Then there's Anthony Beauvillier. This is where the tough question really comes in because I don't think Anthony Beauvillier has played all that poorly I don't think Anthony Beauvillier has played all that poorly he's started to collect some points that fourth line has had a lot of success but this is where you're at with the Vancouver Canucks at in that all of these players are playing well and yet you have a Pretty significant piece coming back into the lineup here for Vancouver in Teddy Bluger at some point during the road trip here. 
Yeah. And I mean, part of me is just looking at it and saying, um, you know, uh, probably injuries are going to happen at some point for yes. all the talk here about it's going to be so hard to get this guy in within a few games. I wouldn't be surprised that we just see a natural thing occur or two. And all of a sudden, not only are you talking about Teddy Bluger coming in or perhaps maybe even you're talking about Jack Studnika getting in. So I think you're not too far away from something along those lines happening either because it's just a long NHL season. But it does create a bit of an issue already in terms of, okay, there are 12 players who probably don't deserve to come out of the forward lineup, especially the guys at the bottom six. And But what options do you have other than making a tough decision? And I know Anthony Bivillier is a guy who's being criticized a little bit right now today, and we'll get to the rumors around him as well and everything, but has he actually been the guy the coach does end up taking? Because I'm not sold that he would be the guy that comes out anyways. It's it's tough. Like, you know, I get it. He's making uh, four million bucks and um, all that. But he's still like for the amount of time he's played to have uh, five points. Not bad. You know, he's kind of had to be humbled where he was playing with Kuzmenko and Pedersen last year. Now he's been relegated to fourth line duties pretty much. So as much as. I get it with Beauvillier. I get it. You don't want to be spending $4 million on a guy who's essentially playing on your fourth line. I, I, I can't sit here and say that I think he's been all that bad in the minutes that he's been given. I think he's, especially lately, started to embrace the role and, much like everybody, buy in to just playing the role that he's been given on this team and try to help the team win in any way that he can. I think it's fair to say that he's been more consistent than Dakota Joshua has been. The thing with yep. Joshua, though, is he provides something this team is lacking in so many ways, the size, physicality aspect. And he was, and he had maybe his best game against Edmonton. Him and Pew Suter showed some real chemistry. And not only did have they scored a couple goals the last couple of games together off that play off the half wall over to Suter to score, they've also created a bunch of chances together. So that duo, as much as Bavili has been better, it's more about current form, too. Do you really want to split up having... Dakota Joshua playing with Garland and Bavillier. I mean, Garland and Suter right now. Like, I don't think you do. That line has been, um, at least since Joshua's come back into the lineup these last couple of games here, it's it would be hard to take him out. And mm-hmm. the coach has been pretty forthright about wanting the size in the lineup. So as much as, yeah, he's been getting the tough love card from the coach a little bit, He's clearly a guy the coach feels like this team needs to have in the lineup and feels can have a big role on this team, reaching its whatever version of success is as the season goes on and into the potential playoff scenarios as well. That's that's how I view Dakota Joshua right now. And that's that leaves it's really between Bavillier and, and Hoaglander. Like at the end of the day, to me that's that's what it is. Joshua might miss a game or two, sit in the bench, sit sit in the press box for one or two, but I, I don't think that's a guy that long term they they want to be have out of the lineup all that often. But the odd man out is usually the guy that's getting the fewest minutes, and that's still Nils Hoglander right now. Yeah, he's averaging ten point whatever minutes per game, and yeah. you have Bavilia playing over thirteen minutes per game. I did think the last game, Hoglander was really good. You know, and this is what makes this decision difficult again. He's been really good in this role. Like honestly, he really has ten minutes a night. Sure, whatever, but hey, we're going to make you the twelve forward. Uh, do whatever you can to impress us, and he is been dynamite in the role pretty much all season long you know it's it's hard to deny like of course there's still a couple of things here and there but 
seriously, for the role he's been given, the kid has outperformed expectations to have three goals while playing eight, nine minutes a night most most games. Yeah, and it's nonetheless, regardless of all that, you look at the ice time. The last three games, uh, Bovillier played 1357, 1024, and 17.05 against the San Jose Sharks, right? Yeah. The last three games for Niels Hoaglander, 946, 828, 1242. So in November, he's averaging 10.8 minutes per game. Uh, Hoaglander is. And Anthony Bovillier in November is averaging 1348. Again, similar to the regular season numbers. So he's playing about, he's getting 30% more minutes right now than Hoaglander is. Just just look at the deployment. Yeah. So if they have to make a decision, it probably still is Hoaglander potentially. But if you're thinking of it organizationally, long term, about, okay, Bavilia is giving you this now, do you have any other options potentially where you can take advantage of having a few guys playing well in terms of trades? Well, that's where Bavillier comes in. You know, uh, as we talked yesterday with Earth about the Garland situation, you know, while Garland's a little bit more uh, willing to stay now with the way the team is playing as, as the story went yesterday, but really there's nowhere for Garland to go, not with that contract right now, not with the amount of money that is tied into that contract. And you know, as much as people say, as we've talked about on the show, oh, the Canucks are, could be willing to uh, eat some money on Garland's contract, e- even up to $1.5 million. Well, you know that also is um, dependent on what would be coming back to the Vancouver Canucks. And I would assume it would have to be something pretty valuable in order for them to do that. So all of those conversations aside... Who is the easier player to trade? It's the guy that's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, an expiring contract. Expiring contracts are always easier to trade. How many bad contracts do we see in the NBA get traded mm-hmm. in their expiring year because they become value <laughs> to trade talks and as trade assets because they are expiring and they offer the acquiring team salary cap space in the summer that they can use either to keep that player which most likely never happens, or to do something else with it in in the summer. So the obvious answer, as far as a trade asset goes, Anthony Bovillier is easily the more tradable person, tradable player right now. Uh, he, he, he is, and especially with based on what you're trying to accomplish potentially here. And something we talked about last week was, you know, Garland's going to be tough to move, but are they going to have options potentially with... Anthony Bavillier to not only move him, but are you being able to use an expiring contract in what you in the way you just mentioned to perhaps get somebody off a team that is decent, but they're looking for cap relief. They're looking to make a transition move because Garland doesn't give you cap relief, right? He gives no. you, you know, he gives you a good player this year and the next two years, but it's a lot of money next to it. But if you're looking at let's again, let's an example here, right? Look at the Columbus Blue Jackets. Let's say Andrew Peak, and I'm not saying you should go and make this trade, but I don't know if they have a lot of interest in doing peak for Garland, for instance, or Vancouver is, for instance. What would they look at, or would Vancouver consider, perhaps, you're moving him for a guy that has a couple years left that can help your roster? So, in essence, take on a player that you're going to have for another year down the line, or maybe two years down the line, in exchange for the expiring contract that has value and offers a team more cap space moving forward. Yeah, you're not really giving up any more assets on top of that. And but that's the that's the lifeline for the team that's acquiring. It's like you're getting off the money for the next couple of years, and you're getting a player who helps you now. But obviously, he's a UFA at the end of the season. I think there w- those options could be available to Vancouver. Now, I'm still not enamored with doing that for Peak, for instance, because I don't like adding 2.75 on the cap for the next two years without subtracting anything from the cap the next couple of years. But 
when you hear the issue with Garland being when you talk trades with other teams is, yeah, you know, we, we don't love the term that comes with him. Where we want to get off this money, we don't want to add money on the books. Well, Bavilli is a guy that allows you to get the money off the books right away at the end of the season for a team, which creates a different scenario than Connor Garland. And his money is far less. We're talking about a guy who's owed, you know, three point whatever million the rest of the season instead of paying what is it? It'll be something roughly like fifteen million <laughs> that yeah. after this point that Garland is owed at this point for the next two and a, two two and three quarter years. So that's a really tough contract to move. So for all the stuff about Garland, I don't think it's so much of that. Oh, they're happy with Garland. Garland is happy to stay. It's it's all kumbaya, holding hands. We're all fine. Let's let's move to the future and have a lot of success. I just think it's a realization of this is not going to be easy to do. And would you rather have Garland right now be on your third line and provide you value with Suter and and be able to have a good third line, or do you want to just do everything you can to get off that money and and take a hit on the books and perhaps even take a hit on your roster? It just doesn't make sense. Whereas with Bavillier. Whether it's now or a few months down the road, my favorite move with Bavillier would actually be to get closer to the deadline. Someone's going to want a rental. Someone's going to want somebody to help them out. Get whatever assets you can get for Bavillier and use those assets to go and acquire that defenseman you're looking for at the deadline, potentially. Like, that's kind of the way I view Bavillier. We talked about this yesterday. It's like, for all the talk about Garland, look at the UFAs to be. Myers, Bavillier, these guys specifically. Do you maybe flip them and use those assets to go and acquire something that helps your team out? Yeah, this uh, and it seems like there's a lot of uh, that sort of thing happening around the NHL. Well, not a lot of it, but that's essentially what the Minnesota Wild did today by moving Kalen Addison and then going and getting uh, Zach Bogosian, just a guy that they felt fits better and helps them win more games now than whatever Kalen Addison was providing. Now, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that on Bill Guerin's end, but it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's the choice that they made. They they got the draft pick out of San Jose, and then they uh, used another draft pick to go and get Zach Bogosian from the Tampa Bay Lightning, much like the Canucks did with Travis Hamanick, uh, moving him out to Ottawa, and then going and getting um, Travis Dermott from the Toronto Maple Leafs when Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford first came into the gig here in Vancouver. So all of those things... like that's how you have to make moves in the NHL this year, especially for a lot of these teams that are right up against it, Sat. Like, you just you don't have room to maneuver, so it's got to be body in, body out, or body out and then body in to salary out, salary in. Like, that's, that's how the equations just have to work in the salary cap that uh, the league has right now, and so many teams just right up against it, as we've talked about a thousand times, as sad as the Grim Reaper on most trade talks. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news that yeah. NHL trades are hard to make because there's no cap space around the league, but that's just the reality here. I mean, it, well, the Kalen Addison trade happens, not be- only because, hey, San Jose needs somebody. and um, Well, they had Kyle Burroughs on their first power play unit. We're going to get into this a little bit more later, but yeah, uh, Kalen Addison can now quarterback a top power play unit. But even for San Jose, they only had about two point close under three million in cap space. Yeah. And the reason why they're willing to make this trade is because Kellen Addison's making under nine hundred K. Yeah. You know, with trades we're seeing, teams just don't have a lot of money. So if Vancouver's trying to get a defenseman and especially somebody that may have some term left, it's just really difficult to do without taking money back. I saw uh, was a Dreger mentioning that the Canucks are looking for a defenseman, but every team they talk to, they're saying, we don't want to take a contract back. We're trying to get rid of a contract. It's like, well, how are you going to make a trade with Vancouver? They literally can't make a trade without sending money out. Yeah. So with that's going to be the biggest challenge. But with Bevilier, again, 
with having a guy who's an expiring contract, are you willing to use that and take something on? But even that comes with its risk. I mean, you're taking on some salary next year and the year beyond on a UFA, which means you're adding money to the books without subtracting any money from the books the next couple of years. So the player you're acquiring can't just be a depth guy. It has to be somebody you feel like is going to really help you. Because if I'm eating into the cap space next year, and it, it is $31 million for Vancouver, but it's going to be about $20 million if that's going to go to... Um, uh, Heronic and Pedersen, yeah. when both signs, if if and when both those guys sign, you can earmark roughly twenty million. That means you have eleven million to fill out about seven spots in your roster. Yeah. It's not a lot of money. It's a lot, but it's not like you. The way I've done the math on that is essentially Vancouver can add one four to five million dollar player after filling their roster out with you know some guys who are on cheap contracts, guys who aren't going to cost a lot. So we're talking about one addition. Are you going to spend? that money on that one addition without subtracting money on off of Garland today, let's say here November 9th or 10th or whatever it is, that's the thing I'm skeptical about. You're trying to do those things, but are you going to get a player of enough quality that you feel like is worth cutting into your flexibility the next two years? The player has to be worth it. Uh, it you know, If you're going to give up the flexibility that having an expiring contract gives you, then it has to be worth it for you to do it. And, you know, as, as we've talked about, Patrick Alvin is pretty much stuck true to his valuations of players and, and how he views them. So we'll see how this plays out, but clearly the Canucks have a decision, a good problem to have, I guess, uh, with Teddy Bluger coming back in, because this is a player, you know, he looked great in preseason sat, you know, in the, in the role that he was being deployed in and, and how he looked to figure in on this roster um, the penalty kill's been fine without him, but that's another player who's adept at killing penalties. Mm-hmm. Like this, this feels like a, a player that can just add to the Canucks' depth. Where you know they've started to become a team that can roll four lines fairly comfortably most nights. Oh, absolutely. And if you all of a sudden you put Beluger in there and he can play with Hoaglander and Lafferty and you find a way to move Bavillier out and help some get some help on defense, I think all of a sudden your your team looks so much stronger. I mean, right now Lafferty and Hoaglander and even Bavillier, that line has been very good, but I think it goes to a different level if you can get if you can get Lafferty on the wing. Because if you get Lafferty on the wing with his size and his speed combination, now you're going to have the real forechecking aptitude that very few teams have. You have Joshua playing with Suter and Garland. We know the PDG, Miller, Besser line and how good they've been. Mikheyev with his speed and size on the wing with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. You have Lafferty on the wing and Blue down the middle on your fourth or third line, however you want to, you know, uh, describe those two lines as who's the third and the fourth line. That means you can really run four lines. Like you're not Vegas, but you can actually do what Vegas does, and that's really run four lines every game and be a four line hockey team. Like they still do to some degree, but as we mentioned with Hoaglander, it's clear that some guys still get sheltered, some guys still get dropped a little bit as the game goes on. You're not going to have any issues with that once you have Bluger back in the lineup. So yeah. that's going to add a real big piece to you, which means the defense is still the issue you're trying to solve. Yeah, you want to, you know, high end forward at some point. That's tough to do this season, but can you still get some more depth? Can you get somebody else on that defense to help? you up yeah and uh is it just ethan bear or is there another option out there as the season goes along got to open up cap space first as we've talked about so mm-hmm. much uh doug and delta why isn't bokefist name being mentioned as a potential return from the columbus blue jackets bokefist has also played uh, very little for columbus so far this year former uh, eighth overall pick uh, that was uh, selected right after quinn hughes actually yeah and yeah, yeah he's a terrific talent i'm not against that the only thing is, considering how Vancouver is trying to play, if they add Boquist, is he a guy who stays in a lineup every day in Vancouver? Yeah. And if I like 
Boquist, I love. I would love to make the trade where you're moving Garland and getting Boquist back, where you're moving money off to Bokes and you're taking a chance on this guy who has a year left after the season, and maybe just maybe he, he figures it out and now you have something really good. If not, well, at least you still have some cap flexibility and you can get out from that contract in a year's time. If you're adding Boquist now without getting money off to Bokes, are you comfortable adding 2.6 on the cap for the next couple of years for for Adam Bocas, who might be a seventh defenseman if he doesn't really figure out the two-way game. Like, I like his offensive ability. I got I like taking a chance on him. I don't know if I like taking chance on him without getting money off the books. Yeah, it's uh, and that's kind of where I'm at. It's got to be a key component here for for Vancouver. And you know, the other part with with Garland isn't just uh, you know how difficult the contract is to move, but he's he's playing really well right now for this team. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's you know talk it's used him in in late game situations. You know, he's clearly somebody that um, you know helps this team in the way that they're currently constructed, having success uh, as their third line driver. It's not necessarily sustainable long term but in the here and now he is helping so is this something that you just sort of punt maybe until the off season because it is working for the way this team is currently constructed uh that's something i wonder about with garland yeah i'm there with you as well now somebody's asking what about garland for huberto retain 50 percent on huberto <laughs> listen huberto has seven more years left on his contract after this season i don't think they're going to retain half that salary today they may come to that realization at some point there's no way they're training him trading him today and retaining half the salary for seven more years yeah that's just not going to happen if they're making a trade it's going to be to get that entire money off the books they're just going to have to wait on that man like there's nothing to do with huberto and i think that my favorite thing nate from colmox mentions oh so you're saying they're going to do an oel trade you're trading expirings for a bunch of bad money and again like I, I that's where I get a little hesitant as well on that but I think the favorite thing to do is what you mentioned yesterday can you flip some of these guys like can you get maybe a mid-round pick for Pavillier can you maybe closer to the deadline get a, a little bit higher pick for Tyler Myers can you use those picks to go and get Tanev for instance and it's yeah it's, you're getting a rental but you can extend him for a year or two and all you're trading is the assets you're getting for that player. Because right now, Calgary has no interest in taking Pavilier for Zdorov or Tanev. Like, why would they take on an expiring winger for a top four for a guy who's, who's a top four or five defenseman? Like, that's never going to happen. So the only way you can do that is doing the 3D chess moves like we talked about yesterday. Can you move these guys closer to the deadline, get a couple picks, and use those picks to go get somebody to help you? Stan Richo, Satyar Shah. Coming up, Trevor Linden will join us on Canuck Central. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We're here in the uh, Kintech studio. Canucks back at it tomorrow afternoon, beginning the Eastern Canada Road Swing. Let's bring in our next guest. It is, uh, well, this market knows him well, I think. Uh, Trevor Linden, former Canucks captain and president of Hockey Ops and a champion for the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Thanks for this, Trevor. How are you? I'm good, guys. I'm sorry I'm not with you in the Kintech studio today, (laughs) but I'm at... uh, one of our Trevor Linden Fitness She's Fit locations in Burnaby. We're having a member appreciation day. So 
I'm out here uh, working away and having fun with some of our our members. And but it's good to be with you guys. That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we're bringing you on as uh, part of, uh, you know, your, your work with the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. And this month, you know, it's it's kind of big to, to sort of highlight, um, you know, men's health in general and how, For sure. you know, I, yeah. I do this myself all the time where I just, you know, forget to check in with the doctor and do the yeah. normal things. You just kind of put it off and put it off and you, you start to forget, especially as I'm getting older, just how important it really is. Yeah, for sure. I, I've been working with the Canadian Men's Health Foundation for 10 years now and, it's 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 been a it's been an awesome journey just understanding trying to understand why men habitually don't put their health uh you know to the forefront i mean much less than women would do and and um i think sometimes guys just don't want to know and they just choose to not know and keep plowing ahead and and i think there's a just that other kind of stigma that you know they they have such they feel the responsibility to provide and 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 you know that kind of gets shuffled to the back but you know the men's health foundation has been um there's there are some great tools out there to 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 get help to understand whether it be physical or or certainly from a mental health standpoint so it's it's a it's a great resource uh, for men and it's been been a lot of fun to be part of their uh, their program well and even doing something small and gradual to, to take that step and, and have a conversation with somebody it just goes such a long way it's not very often you hear somebody take that step and feel like that was a wrong move because the stigma's not the way it used to be and it really does help just talking to somebody sometimes it does that and you know i think about my dad you know growing up in the 70s and you know i mean didn't know it at the time didn't even understand it but you know he was he was depressed and but mm. you know in the 70s you're not talking about that especially in alberta medicine in alberta and, and yeah. it's so sad to see someone struggle it's only been in the last 10 years that he's just gotten some help and he's he's amazing he's turned 80 this year and but you know you, you don't have to these are things that you know you walk into a room full of, you know you know with 100 people there's gonna be 90 people in there that suffer from some sort of degree of mental health issue and and there's no need to be in that you there's help out there and you know the canadian men's health foundation for example is is one resource um you know currently they have you know this for this month in november they have a they have a personalized health assessment you can go on answer questions it's completely anonymous and get some feedback on things whether it be diabetes whether it be uh prostate uh issues whether it be mental health issues um heart issues but you know 10 minutes you know, anonymous questions, uh, I did it myself, gives you feedback, understanding, you know, get you to follow up with your doctor, get on top of these things. And for anyone 20 and older, I mean, this site is for you, but especially, you know, I'm, I'm 53 now, guys, and I, I'm happy to announce I had a colonoscopy this summer, and, and, uh, but that's the world we live in. You know, yeah. you, got, you know it, it, these are things that become real, especially in your 40s and 50s, and, and um, just encourage guys out there to, to take a minute and, and take a minute for themselves and, and to invest some time into their health and certainly mental health, physical health uh, part of things. Uh, it's anonymous. It's at uh, menshealthfoundation.ca. The men's health check just takes uh, about 10 minutes. And, and again, it can uh, it can go a long way to, 
to letting you know where where you need to have your focus on health wise uh, moving for sure. forward. Uh, um, for sure, it's uh, Trevor Linden joining us, former Canucks captain, president of Hockey Ops as well. And uh, you know, Trevor, uh, I think uh, this market, you know, we've we've seen uh, how hot the start is, but really, yeah. like the the more I go to the rink, the more I see the skate jersey around. Man, like it is yeah. so back; <laughs> it's unbelievable yeah. how back it is. It's amazing because when I in when I came back to the team in one um, the the stick and rink was back. It was huge in that you know that West Coast Express era. We wore those uh, retro jerseys and it was awesome, right? And you know what what is old is new again. And now you know that uh, that skate jersey is really uh, you know just and it looks it looks awesome on the ice and it certainly brings back uh, some really cool memories for me. Well, and you know, often you know, we know so much about how a good start sets up your season as well. And I know yeah. back in the '90s when you guys had your runs, and even here with West Coast Express, Trevor, you guys got off yeah. a good starts generally, and it, and it usually meant a playoff appearance and and something decent yeah. come playoff team. It's just been yeah. such a long time where the city's been this excited about the team twelve yeah. games in. And what was it like yeah. for you when when the team got off to a good start and the market was all on board? It just feels like we yeah. haven't had that enough times. For sure, and you can really feel it, uh, guys. I know you guys go down at the rink there, and I was down for the first game for the for the you know for Quinn's uh, captain night, and but you can just feel the the excitement in the market. You know, you watch the game on TV, you can just you know sense the uh, the excitement in the building, and and it's it's nice to see. I mean, because you know the last couple of years they basically, especially last year, they put themselves out of it in the first month. I mean, you know what I mean? They never had a chance and it's really tough uh, for markets. And, and as a player, I mean, you, 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 you can feel it. You can feel that uh, the emotion in the building and it's fun to come to the rink and it's fun to come to practice. And, you know, you're kind of, you got something going your way and, and uh, not to say that they're, they're going to have some bumps in the road. It's a long season, but boy, to get off to a start like this is, is exciting. And it really sets them up for uh, yeah, for an exciting season. So uh, one thing I want to ask you about the black skate jersey. Did, did did you feel like more intimidating as a player as a team when you guys wore the black skate? Yeah, you know, I, I, it depends. Those days, those early, those days in the late '80s when we went into Calgary, uh, they had that big physical team. Yeah, not not so much, but <laughs> um, you know, that's and that was back when we wore the we wore the dark uniforms on the road, and of course, the, we yeah. always wore whites at home back then, but. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's fun to see and that's yeah. what sports is all about. It's, it's cool to kind of see it and reminisce and they, they look great and they've done a good job with it. Uh, look good, play good. That's, uh, that's the old motto I always, uh, <laughs> used to live by. It didn't always work, but, uh, it, yeah. uh, it felt good. Uh, I, I have to say, if we're going to talk about uniforms, I have to say my personal thing would be, I think the stick and rink is, should be, that is the, that is the iconic logo of the Vancouver Canucks and, uh, if I if I own the team, which I don't, uh, it would be it would be that that would be the that would be that should be the uh, that should be the one for me. But that's my personal opinion. I agree with you on that one, Trevor, because that's how I've been feeling about it too. And actually, yeah. as nice as the black jersey is and everything, I still think the blue and the green is the nicest color yeah. combination. Hundred percent. And I think the other thing for me is that logo is it's timeless. Yeah. It's simple. It's, it's, that's what's, that for me is, I, I had this thing, I, I was in my dreams, I was like, you know what, we should, you know, do this when I worked there, I was kind of like, hey, this should be our, this should never change, we should go back to where it started, and it should never change again. We can have fun with third jerseys and, and you know, this sort of thing, but it should be the stick and rink, 
it's you know it's 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 just a mark it's not a it's not a you know and it, and it's 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 something that's 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 that it's you know for time never changes right so um but yeah that's uh for me I know there's lots of opinions on jerseys. It's like music. Everyone has their <laughs> everyone has their favorite. A vote for uh, stick and rank from uh, from Trevor Linden. Yeah, there you uh, go. Love love to hear it. So, you know, this is I mean nine two and one. It's uh, yep. all we're doing is talking about how great things have been going so yep. far for this yep. team. But uh, you know, and as as president of Hockey Ops, you were you were part of the group that started to put these pieces in place. I mean, uh, how, how nice is it to see you know some of the core pieces like Quinn and, and Pedersen uh, start to really really find themselves and become leaders of this team as they're having success. Yeah. I think that at the end of the day, you know, you, you get asked all the time people before the season, Hey, what do you think of the team? And, and I kind of would say like the, the bottom line for this team, and I think Patrick and Patrick's done a really nice job uh, adding a lot of depth there. And depth is great, but the bottom line is the guys who are driving the bus are, you know, Thatcher, Quinn, uh, Brock, uh, Elias, uh, Miller, I mean, those are the guys that on a nightly basis are going to make the difference for you. And you look to any team out there when their best players are their best players, um, you know, they're going to, they're going to have a chance to win every night. And, and so, and, and, you know, we talked about it when I, when we, in 2014 already, it's almost 10 years ago, guys, but um, it was just a, it was, it was a barren landscape. There was nothing. And so, you know, you, 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 you draft a kid and it's, it's, it's yeah, he can be in your lineup in three or four years, but at that point they're just trying to figure it out for themselves. They're playing for themselves, and and now, and, and you know, by year six or seven, they start to say, okay, this is how I have to play to win. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I'm I'm talented, I'm skilled, I'm a good player, but I need to do things that that equates to winning hockey. And I think you're seeing that with Elias, and you're seeing that with Quinn. Is that they're not just they were talented players when they came in the league, but now they understand what it takes to win. And, and, you know, with Thatcher and Quinn and, and, uh, Elias, uh, you know, Brock, uh, you know, they're getting supplemented by, uh, by, you know, like the Hronik addition has been, has been awesome. So, um, you know, these guys now are mature enough to say, we want to be a good team. We got to play the right way. And you know, obviously, there's been a lot of turmoil in this um, with this team too over the years. Management yeah. changes, coaching changes over the years. So that instability obviously ha- hasn't really helped out. And when it comes to young players finding their way, if if the organization is kind of going through that type of turmoil, how hard is it for players, especially young guys, to not only maybe feel fully invested in the team, but also be able to get that type of attitude they're showing and exhibiting this year? Well, it's hard, and I think there's two things. There's 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 you know, the individual player too. And, you know, you think about two years ago when Travis Green was the coach and, you know, that year that he got let go, I mean, you know, I, you know they, the, their top guys just struggled. Elias was just, just having a heck of a time. And, and I think Travis was coaching the right way, you know, and, and the guys just weren't able to put it together. And then of course they brought uh, Bruce in and, and, you know, kind of, it was play any way you want type of game, and that's not going to get you very far. So I think the players saw the different types. They saw the right way to play, you know, the way they were coached with Travis. They saw, you know, how it was under Bruce, and they saw what that looked like. So I think they realize now with Rick that, hey, this is about, like, like you can be as talented as you want, but if you don't play a system and, and, and compete and, and, and play in all the dirty areas and, and play the right way, 
it's tough to win in this game. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing it with, with, you know, with Edmonton and Calgary with their, you know, where they're at. I mean, they're, they're almost out of it, you know, getting close to it. You know, another couple of weeks, if they don't turn it around, they're going to be too yeah. far behind. And I think that the, the individual players, these guys have seen the, the, the difference and they, and they, they've figured it out. And that's, that's, and I think it's going to be pretty fun to watch them here in the next, next few years. Well, you mentioned when you guys came in, when you came in as a president of the club in 2014, it, the prospect mm-hmm. pool was very barren. I mean, you guys didn't have an Elias Pettersson, a Quinn Dews, a Thatcher Demko, you know, waiting in the wings for the next regime to take over. And that's where, obviously, Patrick found themselves. And obviously, challenges with the cap that they had to figure out, but still a foundation of players. And yeah. I wanted to go back to 2017 when you guys drafted Elias Pettersson. And can you just walk us through, again, I know you mentioned this, but walk us through, again, the process in which you guys selected him and, and how proud you were about the process you put in place that allowed you guys yeah. to get to a consensus to pick Elias Pettersson. Yeah, I mean, I this was, I mean, I wasn't happy with the way our process was in 2016, and that was the first year Judd had taken over the reins, and I did not like how our meetings went, and and so in 2017, I I really pushed hard to have Judd, you know, really step up and 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 really run a robust type meeting, and that we can really put, uh, you know, our thoughts and feelings on the table, and and um. Uh, you know, I mean, so, and I really pushed hard as a management group to have Judd and his guys make the pick and Judd and, and give Ronnie Lorm a lot of credit as well. They loved this guy. And, and so, um, you know, Jim wasn't sold and, and, you know, I, Jim had his choice. He probably would have taken a different player. And, and, but I, I really pushed to have these guys that were, they were banging their fists on the on the table, and and I, that's what I wanted them to do. I wanted like you know like let's let's have these conversations and let's put every because I didn't feel we did a good job in 2016, and I think it cost us. Well, I know it cost us, as we all know. So um, yeah, and um, you know I mean, um, yeah, and Elias is a special player, right? I mean he's he's, uh, but I mean even even at that, I mean you know 2017 he. He, he's drafted. I mean, now it's 2023. It's six years until he's a guy that, you know, you are going to, you know, that, that, that has got it figured out and is, he's got his, you know what I mean? And that's, 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 that's kind of how it works. It takes a while. And so nice to see it happen for sure, though. Well, it's. Uh, I mean, he's he's realized his potential uh, to the to the ultimate degree, right? Because mm-hmm. he's hit his offensive potential. He had the 102 points last year, and yeah. you know, I think he's he's starting to. People are starting to realize how good he is at, at both ends of the rink as well as you know with the defensive chops on top. And I think that was exactly just the, you know the lesson that Elias learned last year was that yeah, I had 102 points and we missed the playoffs. You know what I mean? And it wasn't a lot of fun. So. That's great, but you know, do I want to get 102 points every year, or do I want to win? And you know, as Pat Quinn always kind of, he was he was a, such a mentor for me and taught me so much about the game. Is that like playing hard when you don't have the puck doesn't compromise your offense? You know what I mean? Like, there's not not like oh, you know, like either if you play defense, you can't play offense. And Pat was just like, no, 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 we're going to play hard when we don't have the puck, and that's going to help our offense. You know, and then and and. You know, our playing good defense is 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 a is a is you know will will spur on a good offense, and I think that that's kind of what's what's uh, what that's the switch that's flipped for some of these guys, and that mm-hmm. they realize that just just by playing good defense doesn't compromise what you can do in the offensive side of things. And you know, Leas is he's got a chance to you know be outstanding two way player. 
Well, and you know, you mentioned the process to get there, and you as a president, you, you obviously had the the autonomy to to create a different environment in terms of decision making on the draft picks. And I think back to obviously when you left, there was no there wasn't that buffer anymore in terms of a president above the general manager. And we see the setting now. There's Rutherford, there's Alvin. They, they have a more mm-hmm. robust management team. Mm-hmm. How much better is it in terms of having those checks and balances to come to better decisions when you kind of have that structure put in place in your front office compared because when you left, that structure wasn't there anymore. I mean, my biggest message to ownership was: Listen, I I I work for them, and I, I work for I work for this organization, and I'm I want to see the vision. I want to see a plan. You know, I'm not, and I you know I wasn't there to have a job. I didn't need a job. I didn't wasn't trying to save my job. So I wasn't going to do things that would you know just to save my save my my employment. You know, I I, I wanted I wanted to to do do you know to do the right things. Um, and that's how I approached ownership. And, and so, um, yeah, I think Jimmy, obviously, um, he's got a lot of experience. I think Patrick is a, is a, is a good man. And, and, um, you know, they've, uh, they had a rough, had a tough year last year for him, you know, I mean, a lot of things were difficult, but, um, you know, I think they made some really hard decisions and I think, you know, some of them have been really beneficial for, for this club and, and, um, yeah, I'm happy to see those guys. Uh, you know, it's a heck of a lot more fun going to the rink when you're nine and two to start the year, when you start oh oh and six or whatever. So I've been there. I know what it's like, and just happy for them to to have some success. Well, and when you're in a, a role like that, you have to have the the courage of your convictions. And as you you shared about, you know, changing the process in in 2017, I think this group, what we're starting to see is, you know, they've had the courage of their convictions that they want to uh, build something and they want to, they have the vision of what they're going to build and they're going to keep building that even mm-hmm. through the tough times that they had last year. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's early days still of the season, but you know, it's, it's working out really well. Yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, like it's, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier when you've got significant young pieces in place. I mean, the biggest problem we had in 2014 is, like we still weren't at the bottom. Like we were two years away from bottoming out. You know what I mean? Because we had some, we had some older players, some iconic players, some, but they were they were post apex players. That you know you just and so, uh, you know I mean you, you you just and 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 obviously the fans for good reason. I mean they wanted to see the next chapter. Like they wanted to see this is what they wanted to see. They wanted to see the next group of players that they could ex- be excited about going to the rink to watch and but you know when you have nothing in the pipeline and you're you know you're kind of starting over again and it takes time you know so um but it's um i'm just happy for canuck fans i mean because you know being able to watch some of these guys is 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 really special and and uh um yeah it's a it's a it's a you know sports is funny it can change quickly and um that's why we love it well, it can change quickly, but it also has been many years in the making. We're going back to 2014, right, Trevor? Now it finally seems like okay, maybe they're onto something. And and you you talk about difference making players. What Quinn Hughes is doing this season is absolutely remarkable. I mean, he's already yeah. going down as the most talented defenseman in franchise history, yeah. setting all these yeah. records. You guys drafted him in 2018. I mean, did you think that he was going to be there when you guys had the seventh overall pick that year? Because I know you guys had him very high on your list. Yeah, no, we didn't. And it's funny because we were just talking. I was talking with some buddies the other day they're asking me about that and they someone pulled it up and i forgot that you know you know barrett hayton went early on at six and then detroit took was it jacob Fran, not verana but 
the Czech Zadina, um, Philip Zadina, Zadina, Philip Zadina, exactly. Which I, I don't think he's in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, but that's what's amazing. I love the you know, one of my favorite parts of the job was just amateur scouting and player development and the draft. I just love that part of it, and and you know, it's amazing what what just you know how things fall right, and and you know we. From the time I came to Vancouver in 1988, I think this market's been talking about a defenseman like Quinn Hughes, you know, it, just every single year to try to find a guy that could, you know, could do the things that Quinn can do. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, he's he's brilliant. I mean, he's got, you know, he's handled the pressure of being the captain. And, um, you know, it's it's nice to see, you know, him become the captain and get off to a good start and certainly makes his his life a little easier. Hey, Trevor, I uh, really appreciate your time today. It's uh, been great getting to catch up. And again, uh, menshealthfoundation.ca takes just uh, 10 minutes uh, to do the men's health check. Uh, we'll, let you, we'll let you get back to work there over at uh, Trevor Linden Fitness. Yes, I got to get back to work, guys. But great chatting <laughs> anytime and uh, hope to see you soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Trevor. Take care, guys. Thank you. Uh, there is uh, Trevor Linden, former Canucks captain, president of Hockey Ops, and currently a uh, champion for the Canadian Men's Health Foundation as well. And uh, we encourage you to do that 10-minute health check, fellas. Uh, I'm going to do it myself, menshealthfoundation.ca. Um, but Yeah. Well, just a quick word on that, yeah. too. I, I mean... Um, I think it's so important to do, and, and I catch myself as well. I, I know my partner always tells me it's like it's, it's important to find somebody to talk to. It, these things are really important and it helps you in a big way. And even if if you can't talk to somebody close by, you feel like you know you speak to somebody anonymously or whatever. Like it, it's really important, especially this time of the year. As tough as it is, you know you see what the weather's like as well. That always adds another layer to it. The nights are you know longer and everything. So just take the time. It, it makes a big difference. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. So uh, a lot to get into, but I know uh, what people are uh, already reacting to um, is the the conversation we just had about Elias Pettersson. And I want to bring back the clip real quick here. Uh, just Did to, he say something? Did Trevor say something? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't just catch. to dive into it a, a little bit further. Um, but if you missed it, um, let's hear it one more time from uh, from Trevor Linden on uh, the process of selecting Elias Pettersson in the 2017 draft, fifth overall. I wasn't happy with the way our process was in 2016, and that was the first year Judd had taken over the reins, and I did not like how our meetings went. And, and so in 2017, I, I really pushed hard to have Judd, you know, really step up and 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 really run a robust type meeting in that we can really put uh you know our thoughts and feelings on the table and and um uh you know i mean so and i really pushed hard as our management group to have judd and his guys make the pick and judd and, and give ronnie lorm a lot of credit as well they love this guy and and so um you know jim wasn't sold and and you know i Jim had his choice. He probably would have taken a different player, and and but I I really pushed to have these guys that were they were banging their fists on the on the table, and and I, that's what I wanted them to do. I wanted like you know like let's let's have these conversations and let's put every because I didn't feel we did a good job in 2016, and I think it cost us. Well, I know it cost us, as we all know. So um, yeah, and um, you know I mean um, yeah, he's, and Elias is a special player, right? I mean he's he's uh, and, but I mean even even at that I mean you know 2017 he he he's drafted I mean now it's 2023 it's six years until he's a guy that you know you are gonna you know that 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 has got it figured out and is, he's got his you know what I mean and that's 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 
that's kind of how it works. It takes a while, and so nice to see it happen for sure, though. So there is uh, Trevor Linden explaining the process of selecting Elias Patterson. Oh, and we all know in 2016, the Canucks pretty much had their sights set on Olio Levy from the World Juniors onward. So essentially December all the way through the draft, it was very clear that Vancouver was very high on Olio Levy, and the man who was the highest on him was Jim Benning. Now, the one thing I will say, it's not like Olio Levy that year was considered, you know, you know, top 15 prospect outside the top 10. Like, through, if you look at all the... Um, the the projections and the scout rankings, the prospect rankings for that year, he was top five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine. Like he was, he was very much a top eight, nine prospect. So if a guy's a top seven, eight, nine prospect, he goes fifth overall. It's not ridiculous in terms of projection and, and how he was considered and how he was viewed, but it comes down to the process. And I think that's something that Trevor was mentioning here is, are we, are we just locking in on guys and not considering other possibilities and perhaps players who may be better because we're so locked in on this player because of a sample we saw or one, one person who is a decision maker is really high on this guy? Is that the right way to go about it? And clearly, as he mentioned, and we, we know the story too for 2017, it was a deliberate effort. And, and one of the frustrations I had covering the team those years was you could see in 2017, you could see leading into 2018, there was some good, um, I'd say good teamwork going on. Like I remember giving a lot of credit to guys like Judd Brackett and, and the rest of the management team for working together really well. They had some decent uh, outlooks on prospects and, and how they were doing their business because they were working together. They had a process in place. But once Trevor left, that process fell apart. You saw Judd leave not too long afterwards, and it really you know, started falling apart at the seams in terms of that decision-making process. But you saw how well it could work when, when guys were all in together in 2017. And that's how you come away with a player like Elias Pettersson, who right now, I mean, you're talking about a guy who leads the league in scoring as one of the best two-way players. You got a generational-type talent, fifth overall. And that's how you get to that type of decision-making, by having your top guys really challenge one another in making a selection and not just locking in on a guy months ahead. Yeah, and uh, there could be a lot of uh, revisionist history on uh, <laughs> on the... Don't want to do that what-if question, right? Uh, thing, we don't do what-if Wednesdays here on uh, Canucks Central, but what if Wednesday if the Canucks drafted Cody Glass instead of uh, Elias Pettersson? Would not uh, would not be a fun one uh, necessarily, but uh, it was uh, really nice to hear from uh, Trevor Linden, and I know uh, a lot of our listeners very uh, happy to have Linden be so candid with us here today. We do appreciate it. We'll dive more into that as the show goes on, and uh, also get into overrated or underrated next on Canucks Central.